Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, and this week my guest is percussionist, uh, educator, recording artist, Mike List. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it. Fantastic. All right. How's the how's that audio for you? Oh, it's good. It's good. Cool. Yeah, I'm in my basement too. <laughs> this is this is where I live and work. Yeah, that sounds I, great. <laughs> my my wife jokes because it's there's not a lot of natural light. There's a couple of little crack in the windows, but she's like, "How do you work down there?" I'm like, well, it's just is what it is. You know, sometimes I think, "Oh, I'll take my laptop up to the porch," but then it's like, "Yeah, I got the whole rig here, and so just go with it." I'm lucky. I have windows, the little tiny little brick windows, but they're yeah. there. And then I just put a crap load of light down here. Yes. So it's like, oh, yay. It's like being upstairs. So it's I've got so all my lamps around in the in my drum areas. So strategic lamps. Yes. Ambiance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've been busy. I see that you're on your website. You've got like 19, 18 albums. Maybe. <laughs> and a lot of it, a lot of it had to do, not had to do with, but kind of it was during COVID, right? that I had a chance to catch up my website on things that I had and release a bunch of things that I realized I'd been sitting on uh, along with recording things Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So I think part of it, I just realized I could record stuff at home and oh, I don't have to go to a proper studio and do all this stuff. I'll just record it all at home. And so now all this stuff, I have to come out. That's great. No, that's really great. Cause I, over time, I've only got, a CD and a half, basically. <laughs> it has been like since 2002. So I just the idea of, oh, yeah, I could just do this at home, but I can't really. It's different because I have to get a bunch of people together and do all these different things. And so I understand that as well, because like the solo stuff that I've been releasing mm-hmm. is fairly easy or even a collab- little collaboration. But like trying to get the whole Dave Sharp Worlds Quartet into one place at one time and record I'm like, oh my gosh, we've been trying to do this for so long. Like, I can't. And it just, yeah. it takes a lot of time. And then you got to, then you record it. And you're like, oh, do I like that? Should we do this, that? All the, all those things. I get that as well. Yeah. So as we were just getting online here, we were talking about uh, the recording process and trying to, we're both working from our basements, which are lovely. And we've made them into our working spaces. And it's very nice to even just have those. For many years, I didn't have any kind of space. My whole apartment was my everything, but you can't really record in it because it was too much noise. And at, at that point, when I'm thinking of right now, I'm thinking with when I was living in New York, you couldn't really do that because there was all kinds of noise all the time. And also that was in the early 2000s, we didn't have all this stuff. Like the laptop was an, is was new. We didn't have laptops in 2000. It's true. I remember yeah being in college and just the being able to like for practice sake record a video of myself. That was a big deal to open the laptop and hit record and then it took up like all the memory in the laptop and so you couldn't keep that for very long. Yeah. Yeah, and the the beauty of having it here is you can somewhat casually work on something or or daily work on something and it doesn't necessarily have to be an event where I go to the studio and I record this and it's this thing. And yeah, and you get the flow that way. So you say, okay, 
I'm going to compose this thing. I'm going to put this, lay this track. And, oh, I really love that. Okay, let's add something to it. Or I really hate that. Let's start over. Um, But you're not in the studio paying somebody to say, oh, I'm messing around in the studio. And you have time to do that in your own space, which is wonderful. But just the idea of being able to go into a room and like I'm making this podcast just from my laptop with a microphone. What the hell? That never existed. What is a podcast? What was that back then? Yeah. Everybody had radio shows. True. Because in that time, I think I had a radio show for a very short moment. For a year and a half, I had a radio show on uh, on the uh, Lansing Community College station. Nice. Which was nice, but it, it wasn't me talking. It was me playing tracks. Curating. Yeah, curating yeah. music. And even that, after I think the second part of that year, they changed the format. And then they said I was only allowed to put the tracks I wanted every sixth song, which is why I left. Yeah. Here we're going to... Just play this, play what we tell you to play. And then uh-huh. occasionally you can play one. Yeah, that would be a drag. Yeah, because I used to just, bring, I had my whole collection. I would just bring in about, oh, 25 or 30 CDs and pick. Oh, this, I put this one on next. That was really cool because I have a very uh, wide variety of things I listen to. So that's the other beauty of the era that we're in is you could be into anything. There's so many things that you could be into where back in the day you had to have a record store that had pick your artist from Zimbabwe or North Africa right. or whatever. And maybe that was, or you had to know what it was and listen to it and find it now. It's just, oh, let me see what's on the Sahara playlist and Spotify. And for me as a percussionist during COVID, I was accompanying dance classes from mm-hmm. down here. But normally I have a limited number of instruments that I would bring to that. But as during COVID, I just walked down here with my coffee and had things set up. And then eventually I started setting up microphones and th- and it was like, oh, let me pull this thing off the shelf. Let me set up this thing over here. Let me pull the vibraphone around. So I had this like massive amount of gear around me that I would never take uh, to a dance class. And even to take to a studio, like we were saying, is a lot of effort and forethought of do I want to use this and what am I going to use and how do I mic it? But when I'm here, it's just, I'll oh, pull a little of this, pull a little of that. Let's try this one out. And so those dance classes, I ended up recording those as well. And then m- making notes as I went and going, oh, that was a cool one. That was a cool one. And so that's like the Grooves and Sounds album project thing was all stuff that I recorded for a dance class and then later went back and said, I like this one. I'll release it. That's great. I saw some of the video on your website. So you're at, what's the website? MikeListPercussionist.com. Okay. I was at the website and yeah, but I saw some of the video there of the, so those were dance classes or those were actually later you curated a video to go along with this track. Yes. So there's two, there were two sides to it. I, when I recorded them, it's here in the basement, and they were for a class at Oakland University, a general class, and that people were dancing in their basements, respectively, as well. Then, after the fact, I had all these tracks that I wanted to gradually release, and so I contacted Ali Warner, who's one of the instructors there and runs Take Root, which is the dance company, and I said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing kind of like a video collaboration with any of these tracks, here are the tracks. And if you guys want to record video to them, or a dance to them, that'd be cool. And we can release them, blah, blah, blah. What was, that's not exactly what happened. So that's, she said, actually, we have all these like little vignette videos that individuals did, and they were going to use them like as bios on their website. She said, let me just see if any of this music would line up with this. And so those dances were actually not, danced to any music oh they just danced and it was for this other thing and then ali was like try putting this one with that one putting this track with this track and she like lined them all up and i did some things changing where the start or end time was and some of them worked i was like what the heck it looks some of the movements actually line up um so that's how those came about and all those individual videos those are members of take root and then so we released them over a month i think Um, but yeah it was a cool collaboration and to see how it's a very kind of almost john cage lou harrison thing you write your half of the piece and i write my half of the piece and then we'll see what they look like when you put them together (laughs) 
No, that that was great. I've also worked with the dance troupe before, and it, that to me is very fulfilling. It's just because it, you're part of the whole thing. Like we were on stage together working, so it's just fun to see what kind of interpretations they get from the stuff you're coming up with. And it's all improvisational. So you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to do this now. And then they come up with these things. And then once it gets said, I'm sure they need to stick to their thing. But it's just fun to play with that idea of artists in two different genres coming yeah, together that way. It's So I, I accompany these classes three mornings a week. That's usually what I'm doing. And it's definitely interesting for me thinking about music and rhythm and grooves and how that translates to motion. And so much of what drummers do, that is motion. I have one friend who said, musicians are just dancers. They just dance with their hands. And, but it's interesting to see that, how, think how they think about improvising, even how they memorize everything. I'm still blown away because they pretty much memorize everything. And I was the instructor. They'll be like, oh, I did this in college and it went like this. I'm like, how do you pull that out of your brain? Yeah. Like, how is that still in there? And then too, I've gotten to work with Take Root, same company as well for performances and where we've had some sections that are composed music and play this part or the the composer wrote this thing. And then there's also sections of improvisation. So we're going to improvise something like, and every time it's a little different and I'm watching the dancer and they're listening to me. And so that's a really, like you said, it's it's an amazing collaboration to be regularly a part of. Yeah, that that is oh thrilling. So now I have to think about that too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that it's always a, a good thing to get more another nudge in the direction of doing something different or doing something you haven't done in a while. Oh yeah, I forgot I used to do that. And then yeah. going back to it and say, okay, now I can do it this way because now I'm this person. This much time has elapsed and I've become this other person who does this now. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's very cool. So I wanted to talk about your new CD. Now you've got a new one coming out or that came out in July. Yes. And so live at the Blue Llama? Yeah, live at the Blue Llama Jazz Club. Okay. Where's Blue Llama? In Ann Arbor? So the Blue Llama's in Ann Arbor. It's right on Main Street. It's technically it's on the ground level of the where the same place where the Ark is, and the Ark is upstairs. And so I've played there a bunch. My good friend. Dave Sharp, who I play in the group, the Dave Sharp World's Quartet. He is the music director and curator there. And so as a quartet, we've played there with other ensembles. We've played there as well. And when COVID happened and everything was limited slash shut down, they they were still, they were trying many things as everyone was to stay afloat and to provide the experience of coming to the club. And so at at one point they were, you could get takeout from the restaurant. The food's really great there. And then they would stream a show. And the idea was get your takeout, turn on the live stream, have the blue llama experience at home. And so they were looking for artists that were like solos or duos because it was COVID and how many people can we have on stage and mass and all all that stuff. Um, And Dave knew that I had been doing the dance class thing and I had released like two tracks, like a single of similar type material on kind of this hybrid hand drum set under Dagoretti records, which is again, another friend of ours. And so he said, would you be interested in doing this? I said, okay. Sure. Ironically, I thought of a conversation prior to this with somebody and they had asked me, are you more of a soloist, solo artist, or are you more of a collaborator? Do you you like work with other people? And very quickly, I was like, I'm a collaborator. I play in bands. I'm not playing like marimba solos or things like that, that I like I did in college. And I'm a collaborator. I play in bands. Here I am, here it comes COVID. I'm guess like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing a solo show. And so it, it worked out. And I had, some of them are straight improvisation. Not sure what's going to happen. Some of them are tunes that I've been working on. I study tabla as well. And so a long-term project is top, translating tra- tabla material, repertoire material to drum set and kind of that vein. And also just composing along with kind of the tabla repertoire 
And so I had some of that stuff and some of the dance class stuff. And then I did some looping things as well. So I ended up playing over the course of 2020. I played three times solo there. And then afterwards, I was like, wow, this is a lot of material. And so I went through it and decided which tracks, which things I like the best. And we just released this one. And it's a mixture of all, it's not like one set. It's a mixture of ones that I liked. And then there's enough for another one that'll probably come out, I don't know, in the fall or next year of the other tracks that I liked. And at one point I was like, yeah, they sound similar. I'm like, do I release both? And then I was like, lots of music sounds similar. I'm just going to release both. And if people like it, they can pick, keep, have more to listen to or pick the ones they like. So go from there.
what kind of audiences did you get? Do you know, like when you, what kind of audiences do you expect? Are they like real percussion heads or they're, are they more jazz heads? Are they like yoga people or? Yeah. When I did it online, I had no idea. Uh, for, so for a couple of shows, it's just like, not sure who's out there. Maybe my family's watching. And then there was a few of those that there, there was limited seating, but the, probably the best example is uh, recently when I did a solo release show, I had a decent crowd and there were half of them were probably friends of mine, some musicians who are interested in drumming and hand drum stuff. Some people who I just know from other parts of life and wanted to come out. Yeah. And so I think it could be either or all of those. I think people that know me or know what I do or people that like percussion music that like kind of maybe psychedelic, but like more world influenced music might find this interesting. And then obviously drummers are, can be into this stuff for sure. When, like when you name your titles after the fact, like, how do you come up with some of your titles? <laughs> so I, like on this particular, let's see, I'm trying to remember one of them. It caught me at the time. Now I can't remember. I didn't write it down, but it, I think it was track six or seven. Double take or separate hands, logs and loops, Tucka, Kaida, Ravish Chillin. Well, Ravish Chillin caught, caught me. Okay. <clears throat> and Taka Kaida, uh, is, that was just, is that a tabla solo? Yeah, yeah. And so some of it, like name, I'm not great at naming things. Actually, the Grooves and Sounds album, they were paired with a groove tune and then like kind of more ambient tune. They were just like funny word plays, like wasp spray and wasp spray mm-hmm. or mint tea and minty so those were i literally had nothing to do with the music they were just like oh i think these are funny word plays i guess i'll use them as titles and pair them okay. but for the new album so like ataka kaida a kaida is a type of tabla composition and in that one it has a lot of the phrase and so in my mind i'm like oh yeah that's the taka kaida and so i'm like we'll just call it that and then ravish chillin a ravish is another type of tabla composition. It's, there's like kaidas and then relas are faster. And then a ravish is like somewhere in the middle. And so ravish that and it has the lo-fi chill backing track. And so I was going with that. Yeah, but sometimes naming them is interesting. I'm like, oh, what am I going to call this one? The logs and loops thing uses live looping and oftentimes on what's a, it's called a log drum is really a slit drum. And so I did that a couple of times and I was like, rather than think of a different title for each of this, I'll just call this logs and number one, number two, number three, things like that. Very practical. (laughs) Yeah. Like Bach, partita number five. At some point I just go with that. Seven cups of tea is in seven. And sometimes I have a good idea and sometimes I'm just like better, at least a step from like improvisation number three, we can like add something something more than that.
it's <clears throat> yeah, I find when I'm writing things and I'm trying to, there's always a story that once I've heard it back, because it's improvisation. So when I'm doing it, I don't think about it. When it's over and I hear it, I go, oh, there's a story that goes here. There's a little film that goes through my head. And I wish I could afford animation because I always want to have the actual story be animated as a backdrop to the music. But that stuff costs so much money. It's like, I went to check it out one time and I was like, oh my gosh, I'd have to literally be a multimillionaire to do it. You just need to find an animator that wants music for it. And then I guess, oh my gosh, still it was because the hours I guess involved is so intense. And so at the, release show another drummer came up to me and he's like man this could be national geographic nature documentary music super easy he's like i can see it as you're playing and he's like i mean that as a compliment and i was like i'd love it if we could do that just please (laughs) i'd love that sync license right there yeah that'd be nice that'd be real nice yeah and you just never know who's listening too so you just don't you never know so that's my goal is to just get music out there. So maybe somebody will pick it up at some point. Some filmmaker will be like, hey, I really want to use that track. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I think there are. Man, I, yes, I think there's totally value and just put it out there, which has been part of my shift in COVID of I had at the beginning of COVID. I had a project, the Drift album that was like pretty much done and going to be released and I had that ready. And I went to somebody's who had a home studio and recorded there and had it ma- mixed and mastered properly and all that stuff. And then during COVID released, recorded music here, just like mixed it and mastered it my own, sent it off to a couple of friends for help and things like that. And I was like, like they were different, but were they like that much different in quality level? I was like, I don't, I think it's all right. And probably better to do more and put it out there. And obviously you get better every time you do it than trying to wait to get the, get it perfect. It's like the potter. You've heard that classic pottery example where the, the professor said, you can have two options in this pottery class. You can be graded on one piece and like how good it is at the end of the semester, or you can just be graded on mass and we'll weigh everything you've done quantity versus quality. And then actually the the people that just did quantity had so much practice that their end product was oftentimes better than the person who was fretting and worrying about the one perfect magnum opus that they were trying to create. And so, yeah, I've been more of, yeah, put it out there. Let's see what happens. Just keep putting it out there. Yeah, I, That's been my idea. But every time I think about it, I always want to work with a group. I don't really, and it's okay. There's a solo one that I've thought about doing with loops and all that, but I would get bored playing on it because there's nobody to play off of. To me, it's that community part. So I thought, okay, if I do a loop type album, which I probably will do someday, (laughs) but it has to be more than just loops or one chordal. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And for, for me, the percussionists with lots of drones and things like that was the other side of the new album. I had some like drones and pads going. And then the actually Dave, Dave Sharp added some synth at the end post the fact to fill out some of that stuff. I've listened to Indian music for so long. and been a part of it. Like I need that <laughs> bed of sound, especially playing solo percussion. Like it's like a safety net for me. But you, for so for me, like dronal music, drone kind of one chord music works because <laughs> the interest is in, is in the rhythmic activity, is in the texture and all that. But yeah, I could see where if you're wanting changes and things like that, it makes the loop world makes that difficult. I guess there's a market for it. There's a lot of folks that just want something that's really relaxing and you mean playing on that one chord over and over for however long. But for me to play like that for a whole album, I would get tired of listening to me. Sure. Like even yeah, you want to be interested, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Maybe I'll just save that one track and use it on something else. So there's a con- conglomeration of things. Yeah. So I have to figure out how to do a solo album where it's not that. Yeah. You know, interesting. Because, but so like, I'm working on that in the, back of recesses of my mind <laughs> along yep. with the traditional type stuff 
Yeah. But the album for the last almost three years, because I started this in the end of 2019, has been this podcast. Uh, so, of course, yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. So that album's been done. <laughs> so now I need to work back on the music more. I've thought of that like in teaching classes i teach classes at community college of oh man putting a class together is like an album like there's a lot of work to that or putting a podcast together is an album there's like a good chunk of work and you know that you can go back and see like man look at all these interviews i did look at this like time which is great yeah it's just interesting how everybody approaches these things if you were gonna tell people about the latest album who would you suggest would be into it what's who's the group that you'd say hey if you like this come and listen to this cd for my album who would i tell that to i think i would tell that to people that like world music that like tabla but aren't maybe not just not obviously it's not strict classical tabla indian classical music i think obviously percussionists like it i think the dance world would like this music i could see a dance studio that doesn't have a live musician finding a lot of use for this type of this type of music and i've i've found other people that like just experimental music tend to which is very broad and could be more open but again back to like dagaretti records that they put out stuff that from kenya from avant-garde jazz stuff like that and a lot of those folks this type of stuff I do as well, I think. So that's the hard part when you're on Spotify and trying to click through what genre does this belong in? And I think I probably just need to be better and figure out where I should put it. But a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. Like it's hand drums. It's maybe the new agey type stuff. People might be into it, but there's also, I don't know. And that's the problem. When I click all those things, I'm like, I don't know. Can I just click a bunch of these? And they're like, no, you have to pick three. And I was like, oh boy. So yeah, that, that is always a question for me. So if anyone's listening, they can, you can write me and tell me where you think I should put this under. Yeah, no kidding. I, it, oh, I've made up terms and things like, I think me and Dave Sharp have the similar thing. It's like world fusion. Yes. But I don't do any particular non-american style i play so even in world fusion <laughs> there's like a category for african music this is, I, what i'm doing is not african music or indian music what i'm doing is not indian music i don't think that does that does a discredit to what they're doing that type of thing i know what you're talking about i'm influenced by that but that's not what i'm doing so yeah it's what do we call this for people <laughs> Yeah, it's it is a little bit frustrating because people do like categories, and I'm more of a person who's just, I like that. I don't care what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's in my I, playlist. <laughs> I think at a clinic when they were talking about bios and writing a bio, and they're just like, "Tell a story," and if you could tell your story in three words, there's your genre, right there. Of I don't I, and I don't know <laughs> what necessarily it would be but that idea of oh if i could tell a story just through the genre like global collaboration or uh you know so what somebody another percussionist saw my setup and he's like oh we've got instruments from four out of five six out of seven continents here or something like that and i was like oh that's an interesting idea because i do have instruments from a lot of different areas continents picket i'm like oh it's very interesting idea i could play with i hadn't really thought of it like that and i've never heard it phrased that way in yeah transcontinental music <laughs> what are you gonna transcontinental fusion but yeah it's it's something you don't think about until you start okay we have to have a category and i don't know why you have to have a category this is music with drums and hands <laughs> yeah and one side i get it and the other side it's difficult to figure out the category to put it in but yeah there's i've spoken with a lot of percussionists on this show my friend chris is in japan and he does world type music too but he's been in japan he's from detroit hmm. so he's but he's been in, in japan for 30 years oh wow doing stuff out there and it's this same kind of thing just stuff from everywhere that he plays and then you do that and then carolyn does that carolyn Keyboard. Yeah, of course. So it's just like there are people, there are definitely people like me, like us, 
Carolyn, Mike Shim, and other people in the state and abroad. And I, I was listening to a little bit of Carolyn since she talked about Glenn Velez and definitely an influence on any American that plays frame drum. Jamie Haddad is somebody who I was influenced by. I took a couple lessons, but like randomly, but never studied with him. So I'm at clinics. But you know, this idea of what people will now call like the hybrid kit. So basically a hand drum kit. I'm trying to think what I call it before hand drum setup, you know, and lots of people also just changing the drum set and the drum set itself was a hybrid instrument. You think back to the old black and white pictures of a jazz band and you got this bass drum that's got like a river painted on it. But then this guy's got, you know, Chinese temple blocks and there's a chimes behind him and a timpani and symbols are a Turkish thing. And you've got some of the tacked Chinese toms and the military snare drum. It was a cobbled together thing until it became, oh, like companies are going to put me like make a standard version of this. And now I think a lot of people are reinventing the drum set based on what they, based on what their interests are in instruments they have in sounds that they want. And so mine has a lot of frame drum. Sometimes there's tabla. Actually, this is an idea I took from Carolyn. I don't know if she said it or if somebody else told me, but she said she make she plays a different setup, a different set, a different hybrid kit for every group that she plays in, which I thought was brilliant because then, and she said, because that way she doesn't play the same thing in every group. It forces a different way of thinking. It forces a different musicality. If, and so I do a little bit of that. I have like my kind of standard way of doing things, but for certain groups, I'll have a symbol for certain groups. I'll bring the tabla in for other groups, not. And I think there are a lot of people doing that around the world based on whatever their experience is. And I think oftentimes percussionists have a couple areas that they have studied and dove deep into. For me, Indian tabla drumming Middle Eastern percussion is a big part of that. And then I've dabbled in other things. I've been to some workshops and I have an idea about West African djembe playing, but I'm not like a djembe player. And I have an idea how to play Pandero and a idea about Brazilian music, but I'm not like an expert at that. I'll add instruments like that into the setup, uh, using them with kind of the abilities that I have based on the instruments that I have worked on. It is always a pleasure to talk to different musicians and see how they think about playing with other musicians. Because a lot of folks don't talk about that, the collaborations mm -hmm. and what that means. And maybe it's because a lot of folks I talk to with are lead players and they're not in the, I guess, the ensemble side as much. Yeah, or they're trying to get a vision out. Whereas you're a side man or a collaborator, you're trying to help that vision or fit mm -hmm. into that vision. Which is interesting because I always think of myself as the whole thing as a collaboration. So, yes, I have to lead it because that's the job I have. But you want to hear lead. what other people have to say. Yeah, I want to have the conversation. Me, that's the meat right there. It's not me being a star. It's, no, you're doing your thing here, but I'm going to enhance that too. And then we're going to meet in the middle. And we're going to play with it. Like we're tossing the ball back and forth. It's like you can tell when it's working because everybody in the crowd, you can feel the crowd move with you. Ooh, what are they going to do now? What are they going to do now? And we don't know. So it's, I'm, I really like that. And I don't know. I think of myself as a side person as well, even though I ask, oh yeah, I have to go over and lead this. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to wrap this up now and tie these because you have to think in a different way. So yeah. At the same time, you're thinking of collaborating. You're also thinking, I've got to move this into some kind of a statement. Otherwise, this does it just rolls along and it just it just flutters out there like a big old wave and dissipates and it's all spaghetti like. It, yeah, <laughs> it has to have a beginning and a middle and an end. <laughs> yeah, and there's some groups I play with. I think I've ran the gamut of that. I have groups that I play with that are pretty much all improvisation. Or there's a riff that we start with and or riffs that we've commonly played, but like where it goes and how it ends is pretty like unknown. And then I've, as a student and occasionally I'll play with a symphony or things like that, where it's like, okay, there's the notes on the page. you got to play it. And then all in between, but definitely on, on this end where it's 
improvisation, especially as the drummer percussionist thinking about how to create a story, to create some arc, to create, to make it go somewhere is like an important thing to think about. I might hear the groove and have an idea of, oh, I could play this busy thing with it. But don't go there right away because then you're like, what are we going to go from there? So then maybe we all hint at that or, and then gradually work into that is one way. Or just backing as a, if, if we've been on this thing for a while as a percussionist, if I back off as a drummer, if they back off, all of a sudden everyone else is like, oh, we're going somewhere, we're doing something. But yeah, trying to have that mindset as well rather than just like, sometimes that can be good too right there's no right or wrong but just oh, i'm gonna play this groove for a really long time and, and see what else happens but like you said there's other people playing there's other things happening and as you're listening reacting to that which is the great part about live music i'm so i do a, i've never i don't consider myself a composer but like some of these tunes i've started writing more tunes and things like that and so like robert's chillin there's like the version of that that I like recorded with me on drum set and tabla and it's on like YouTube. Then there's the version of me playing it live. And then I've taken it to like the world's quartet and been like, okay, here's the idea. What would you do? How would we add a violin part or a, an oud part? Or this is what I just played on the keyboard. And then Dave plays something different on the bass, which I think is great. Like, here's the idea. I could flesh it out. But I want to hear you guys flesh it out. So like that one, when we play it as a group, they came up with some melody lines that fit right in with the actual tabla part. And then I was like, okay, if that's the melody line, this is how the tabla part changes and makes variations. So this is how the melody. So now it's we're trying to go with the John McLaughlin Shakti, like all these the lines like connected together. But collaborating with somebody and working with them on that, I think, led to a far better product than me trying to write something out. Oh, for
Sure. It, it adds an excitement because I think artists in general, we have this thing in our head that's always running and there's conversations going and my partner all the time, she teases me. She says, I don't know what's going on in your head. I'm like, you don't want to hear what's in here. <laughs> I, I had a student one time. He was like, how many tunes go through your head in a day? Cause he said something. And then I like whistled the tune that came into my head. And like, I didn't, I probably do that fairly often. Just like a line. It reminds me of a line from a song. And I like whistled that little tune. And he's like, how many tunes go through your head a day? And I was like, probably quite a few. Yeah, or constantly. Yeah. It's I, uh, when I first started trying to improvise, I remember my violin teacher at the time, she was like, you always look off into space. Come back and look at us here. And I'm like, no, I'm listening. She's like, what are you listening to? She didn't get it. And it was like, no, it's it is coming from the ethers or wherever in your head that you listen to that stuff. Saying, and it yeah. was my eyes would go off in that direction. Now I can look at people and still do that. <laughs> I but, still think of that. Yeah. But at the time, it was like I had to get it from the air, so to speak. Now it's just there. And I think the more you do it, the more it's just part of your everyday life. So there's constantly music going on. If I have to actually do any work, I have to turn all music off. I cannot yes. listen to music. Yeah. So I, people, so I teach some like history of rock, world music, music appreciation classes. And sometimes students ask, oh, what do you listen to? And then, and I have found this with a lot of musicians and I'm betting it's similar with you. A lot of times I'm not, like if I get in the car, I'm not necessarily listening to music. I'm listening to the NPR or the radio, something. or I have the work that I have to do involves listening to something or I just got done with a dance class and I've been playing music for three hours. And so I don't have, I'm like, I need a little break from listening to something for a while. And at one point I was like, man, I'm not really listening to anything. I need to put something on, especially like cooking or like doing dishes or stuff like that. I'm like, I need to have more of that. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be in. And I'm similar if I have to sit down and do some work. It either needs to be like some very specific type of music that I can just like let play very low in the background or it's just don't have anything on because I'll end up being like, oh, that was cool. What was that? Or if it's a YouTube video, then I'm like, oh, oh, I got it over here on the other monitor. I'm like, oh, oh. that's cool. That's cool. And then the rabbit hole is just gone. It's, and yeah, <laughs> it's productivity enormous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't at all. Because as soon as, or even if it's, it's talking, they'll say an idea and then that turns into music. And like, oh, I could do this thing where I do this. And then all of a sudden I start singing. A I'm like, whoa, wait, I'm supposed to be doing this. <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to be working. And I think the tricky part is taking all those ideas. I have a list of things on my phone or, uh, and then the next step of, okay, what, I'm going to sit down and make this into something is the, always the tricky part. I always feel really good after I do that. Like I'm downstairs at night before I go to bed and I'm like, oh, I got this idea. I'm working on it. So that always feels great. But I, I feel like that's the hard, hardest part is sitting down and doing it, sitting down and taking that idea or finding the time to say, all right, Tuesday afternoons, I'm going to sit down and whatever kind of ideas I've had floating around, try and do something with it is the, the tricky thing to find, I think. Oh, yeah. Just having time to do that on a regular basis is tricky. I don't know. I have an odd schedule because I'm working full time at FedEx. And then I do stuff. I do the podcast in the morning. And then the rest of your life is like the mornings before you go to work and the evenings after you come home. And then you have somewhere you're living in there. So this is a normal musician schedule. The fact <laughs> that it's not nine to five just means that it's the normal musician schedule where it's like a collection of all sorts of random stuff. That's, I think most people are doing things, cobbling things together, not the normal nine to five. And maybe, I don't know if people work normal nine to fives anyway, but. I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't think they do. Yeah. It, it, I think it's become more of a mainstream thing now than it used to be. Yeah. The, it, the, the gig economy all that idea. I'm like, musicians have been doing this for a long time. In some ways, was was ready for that idea. Oh, yeah, of course. I just get, I do this job. I do that job. I work at, I used to work at a coffee shop and then I go teach this class on Tuesdays and I teach. It's just like, it's what I do. 
Yeah. It's hard to get used to sometimes though, especially if you get a chance, like during COVID, I worked my job, but everybody else was quiet. So I had space to, okay, I'm going to work on my project too. And I did. I, and I think, I think one, I don't know. I feel like people are going to get sick of musicians talking about COVID and artists talking about it. But I think so much of what's coming out now is what people had time to do during that. And for me, it's the same. I wasn't playing a gig every weekend or every other weekend or whatever and rehearsing and practicing and going out and all that. I had all this extra time. And I th- actually, I think most of it for me is I wasn't driving. Like I remember reading this little book early on in my freelance career and it was like road warrior without an expense account. Basically that the freelance musician world is a lot of driving. And for me, like I was spending at least probably eight hours a week in the just driving to campus and driving to gigs and back and forth. And I was like, that's a whole work day. And so when all of a sudden I wasn't doing that, yeah, there was all this space and time to, oh, let me work this idea. I've got a little bit, or let me, I recorded a bunch of vibraphone piece of music for quarantine album. There was just, oh, I'll record this video. I'll record this piece because I'm not really doing that much in the evenings and I, I can and then it turned into oh there's some more there's some more and yeah I think there there was a, a beauty in that of everyone being forced to to slow down a little bit obviously a tragic reason for that and it was not as good for everyone um of course not but but there was like oh so for me as things started ramping back up I was like, oh, what do I, what do I not want? What can I, how can I keep some of this time of being able to work on ideas and have this time to work on projects? How can I keep some of that? Maybe I say no to a couple more things or whatever it may be. But yeah, it's interesting time. It was. Well, and people were interested in doing collaborations at that time. Now everybody's crazy busy. They're all, you can't get anybody booked for anything. Everybody's so busy. So. Yeah, the, everybody was doing a remote collaboration. It's like, I'm going to record this. You want to record something over it? Okay, great. You know, let's do that. And that was what we did. And so now I'm like, oh, do I even still, can, is it even legit to still do that? I feel like we could be in the same room playing. Maybe we should. And either, either way. But yeah, that was like, everyone wanted to be doing collaborations like that and had a bit of time to to do that, whether it was just like a quick video or whether it was a whole album or something like that. Yeah. It seems like there was definitely a space for a lot more of that at that point. But now, yeah, like I said, a lot of people I've worked with are on the road. They're on tour because they weren't on tour and now they're on tour like crazy. You can't find anybody. People are like, oh, I double booked myself. I can't show up to play on your gig. You're like, yeah. what? <laughs> so, that busy. <laughs> that kind of busy. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. But uh, it's good and it's bad at the same time because <laughs> they're trying to make up for income they didn't make during COVID. Sure. Which is a long haul. So now they're working like crazy, but it's all good. It's all good. I think there was tragic things that happened during COVID, but there was a lot of pulling together of artists. I think, I think it showed us that we really could clean up the environment really quickly if we stopped doing things, because during that time period, when people weren't driving around, all of a sudden animals you'd never seen before had thought were extinct, start showing up. The sea, the seas were overflowing with wildlife you've never seen. They're like, where do they all come from? Because the boats weren't running, the ships weren't running. Yeah, pollution wasn't as high. The air quality in LA cleared up tremendously, very quickly. So we always say, oh, we can't do anything, but we can. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. It was it was for some people the experiment that you could never do happened. Of you could never ask everyone to just stay home for, well a year plus whatever, or even a couple of days, but there were times in there when that did happen. So what, what can be learned from that? Yeah, we've learned a lot from that. And we're, I think, hopefully moving on a better trajectory in the future. We'll see. One would hope. Um, <laughs> but all in all, we have new music because of it, new art in the world. And so where can people find your CD? So you can find my releases. Uh, you could check it out at MikeListPercussionist.com. And then also 
all of them are on Bandcamp. I think Mike List Percussionist. And then they're all on Spotify, Apple Music, all the standard kind of uh, streaming services as well. I wanted to say thank you so very much for spending time with us today and having conversation. It's great talking with you and seeing you. I'm excited for your new CD and I've got it. So now I can listen to it (laughs) and hopefully all the people out there will be listening to it too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a great, I was looking through the roster of people. I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of great folks on here. So thank you very much for including me. And it's been great chatting with you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.